My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Stefan Christoph. Mostly, when you think about the intersection of music and radical politics, what comes to mind is music in which the lyrical content conveys the politics. From Public Enemy to Ani DeFranco, Rage Against the Machine to Paul Robeson, Kinney Star to Asian Dub Foundation, and so much more. And, certainly for Christoph, punk and post-punk music, for example, was an important influence in his younger years. Yet after he moved to Montreal and became active in organizing in the community on a wide range of issues, from police brutality to global justice, solidarity with the Palestinian people to anti-capitalism, Christoph combined a growing interest in instrumental performance, particularly the piano, with a sense that we neglect the imaginative, creative, even spiritual side of ourselves in movement contexts at our peril. He came to see such music, particularly collaborative composition and performance, as a way to bring people together, as a way to cultivate expansive visions of a transformed future, and as a way of nurturing that spiritual side, and what he variously describes as the dream-based aspects of activism and the imaginative zone of activism. Christoph speaks with me about his organizing, his music, and the way in which for him they so radically intertwine, and as well, he'll discuss a few specific musical political projects, including duets for Abdul Razak, Regards sur le septième feu, and a duet project with Egyptian-Canadian musician Sam Shalaby called Flying Street. And we'll hear a couple of brief excerpts. We spoke by Skype to phone from Montreal. My name is Stefan Christoph. I live in Montreal. I'm a community organizer and also an artist, primarily a musician. I've been living in Montreal since the late 1990s, and I work in ways to try to explore the intersections between social activism at a grassroots level and the arts. So that's expressed through my musical projects. And it's also uh, expressed through involvement in various struggles for justice and against oppression. At a very basic level, music provokes and can recall very intensely emotive experiences that we pass through in our lives, both individually and also collectively. It has a great ability to push us, I think, to remember aspects of our own experience in society and in the world that are beyond the surface. There's a spiritual aspect to music that was always very important to me. And I think this is something that's clear for any music lover. And I feel like the relationship between music and activism revolves around an exploration that I've really looked at for many years, I could say my whole adult life, which is to try to be engaged in grassroots struggles for social justice, against systemic violence in this society and others around the world. In my involvement in those struggles, 
one thing that has consistently been on my mind is the ways in which you sustain your involvement because, let's be honest, when you're involved at a grassroots level in social activism, there is the reality that you're often working without any compensation. You're often working on volunteer time, having to sustain yourself in other ways. So there's a struggle there. And for me, music was a way, and also the arts was a way for me to try to explore the struggle to sustain one's involvement in these movements on more of a spiritual level. Sort of the ways that, you know, you push yourself to stay focused and to stay involved in these movements. So for me, the two things are related because for me, music really is about the more spiritual side of life and experience. And I think that that plays a very important role in activism, but I think it can often be clouded over and it can often be removed from the urgency of trying to find a particular slogan or a certain way to phrase a campaign, whether it's an anti-poverty campaign or a campaign for environmental justice. There's always the effort to try to phrase things quickly, urgently, in a way that can reach people within the terms of mainstream media institutions also. And I think what the arts does is it allows you to explore more the more spiritual or the dream-based aspects of activism. And I actually think that although we don't talk about it a lot, at least in my experience in North American activist networks, that dream space and that imaginative zone of activism is actually really what propels a lot of people's involvement and commitment to these movements. Because if we're thinking about a transformative change, we know that that's not going to be delivered in any quick time or through the mainstream political process. You could put it in different ways, but one way to put it is that there is really an aspect of an effort to try to imagine our lives in different ways. And I think that that's actually very creative at its essence. And so it is, for me, related to an artistic way of trying to think about your experience, your life, and the society around you. I've been involved in grassroots activism my whole adult life, directly involved since I moved to Montreal in 1999. I first became involved actually in anti-police brutality protests when I first moved here, particularly police violence against poor, marginalized, and the homeless. Over time, I got involved in a variety of struggles and different issues. Some of the more important events really revolved around the upswing of demonstrations in North America against corporate globalization. My involvement also was very locally focused. I was working with a lot of student organizations and also community groups involved in housing rights struggles, in anti-poverty struggles, and also in struggles to fight for the rights of poor and homeless people on the streets. I was always trying to look at the ways in which issues of injustice in Montreal were mirrored by larger structures of injustice internationally and how those systems were interlocking and also to understand that by protesting international institutions, we also had to look at what was happening in our own communities and be responsible to also look directly at the street level to see the ways that these systemic injustices manifest at a grassroots level in our own cities. 
people often ask me how I learned music. Basically, I lived with my mom who had a piano and I did take lessons in a trailer park close basically where I grew up in British Columbia. So I took about six months of lessons and then I also became interested in punk rock, particularly bands like The Crass, you know, art punk, post-punk, groups that mix multimedia, collage, poetry. But I really struggled before moving to Montreal to find actual manifestations of people who were doing art, but also had a radical critique of injustice in society and were finding ways to link their artistic practice to social activism. It was only in Montreal that I really saw firsthand quite a few people doing that, and that was mainly through the activist organizations that I worked with at that time in Quebec and in Montreal particularly. And what I mean by that time is 2000, 2001. There was a lot of artists working hard to express the mood, the intensity of the demonstrations that were taking place against local injustice, but also particularly against the Summit of the Americas in spring 2001 in Quebec City. I started organizing benefit concerts, and I would call them also community gatherings that brought together musicians and artists for a variety of local activist groups. So within that context of working on all those shows, I was playing music sometimes and finding ways to collaborate with other artists who I felt had a similar vision of the arts as integrally involved in expressing these movements and these grassroots actions that I was involved in at the time. So largely my musical playing is born out of direct experimentation. I'm largely a self-taught musician. So the spiritual component and the imaginative component of activism that you see as a key way in which music and other artistic practices connect to radical efforts to create social change, how did your capacity to identify and to name that develop, given, as you said, that it really isn't something that we talk about very much in movements? I think it was largely out of necessity. Because when involved in the sort of urgent stress of organizing these large demonstrations, being involved in various committees, there's a lot of urgency and a lot of high-pressure demand put on you. And at a grassroots level, we're not talking about like a labor union or, you know, well-funded organizations. We're talking about people coming together on the basis of trying to express a critique at a grassroots level because people feel that critique's urgent and necessary to put out there on the streets. It's a matter of justice. So as time went on, I felt there was this culture I saw developing within activism, which really was focused on frameworks of quote-unquote busyness, greeting people I worked with or seeing people that I uh, had known for years, asking how they were doing or how they're feeling. The answer I saw becoming more and more apparent was busy. I'm really busy. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that particularly. However, what I did not see being addressed very much, at least in my circles, was actually how people were doing on a spiritual level, on a personal level. How were people feeling about their involvement, about their relationships to the people around them? How were the mental health dynamics? These are issues that everybody struggles with. 
And I was thinking more and more as time went on, it's very important to not invisibilize the struggles that everybody goes through in their own individual ways to sustain mental health. And then also often I found in activism the persisting struggles that many people face in their lives, which of course are deepened when you take into account class, race, gender, immigration status, the various levels of structural oppression and social oppression in society, there was this sort of culture that I found quite pervasive, which I found did not take an anti-oppressive analysis into account in human dynamics. Definitely, it was expressed in terms of discourse, in terms of how we talked about our struggles publicly but I found that there were gaps in how that public discourse was expressed and how people actually interacted with each other. And so I'm saying all that because as time went on, I felt more and more of a sense of urgency to try to express some sort of feeling of compassion, of love for the people I was involved with in these struggles, in these movements, particularly because there is such little infrastructural and financial means involved, there is that extra burden, that extra stress of having to survive in a free market society that demands of us a certain amount of cash per month to deal with bills and rent and all those things. So I wanted to really talk about how people were doing. And I felt one way I could connect with people and also express at least individually where I was at on a personal level but also a way that I could express my commitment to these struggles at that more spiritual level was through music and using music as a way to express things that, you know, still I find difficult to put into words, but I think that feeling, that compassion, that sort of dream space that I mentioned before, that really I think without that acknowledgement of that energy, of that space, that I think is essential to people's involvement in grassroots radical social activism. I really wanted to try to find a way to express that. And so music was a tool to share those feelings with people. And so I began to do concerts and piano concerts particularly, and I would share some thoughts before playing a piece. And I would play and also often played with other people also involved in social activism as a way to sort of create that space for reflection without an agenda, without the urgency of having to write a press release. All those things are obviously important. However, I think that space to reflect is also essential. And so I find that music can create that space and also, of course, other art forms. Tell me more about the music itself, both in general and maybe about a few specific pieces. Like activism, a lot of the music happens collectively. I really like composing and working with other people. First album I worked on was Duets for Abdul Razik, which was coming out of a lot of performances I was doing and then my involvement in the Project Fly Home Committee, the group to support Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik, the Sudanese Canadian who was exiled for a number of years in Sudan and jailed without charge, who launched a very important legal struggle against the Canadian government and eventually won his return back to Canada. I did an album in homage to his struggle. I got to know him when he came back. And that album was all based on collaborations, sharing with other artists Abdul Razik's story 
and then inviting those other artists to work on a piece of music with me to express their compassion and solidarity with Abdul Razik, and most importantly, an homage to Abdul Razik. So after that time, I'd say like the compositional element often, at least for me, was most interesting in a collective capacity. Another example was an ensemble piece, which is called the Regarde sur le septième feu ensemble, which means the look to the seventh fire. And of course, that's a reference to the seven fire stories in indigenous narratives of the past, present, and future. The seventh fire being the fire of reconciliation and transformative change. And so this was an ensemble of 12 musicians brought together, particularly around the Idle No More protests. And we worked together on a piece of music that is about one hour long. And we also worked eventually on this piece with a women's indigenous choir called Odaya. It's a grassroots community project. And so we performed this piece called Regarde sur le septième feu numerous times. And for me, that's really an example of collective composition. But collective compositions try to express solidarity with a foundational struggle on these lands, which is the anti-colonial struggle, but also a pointing to and a recognition of indigenous narratives of identity, history, that are so often marginalized from Western European narratives of quote-unquote civilization. So this is being recorded live at the Sala Rosa Music Hall in Montreal. In this section, you'll hear the tapestry of different instruments, strings, saxophone, percussion, and you'll also hear clapping, which was something we did as musicians, but also encouraged the audience to do in response to the rhythms, to the music. And this was a section of our long ensemble piece that was particularly aiming to express possibilities of solidarity between Indigenous struggles and settler society. This is a very difficult issue to tackle. How do you actually create meaningful and respectful relationships of struggle between Canadian society as a settler colonial society and Indigenous cultures and communities? There, I think, are many ways to look at that possibility, and there's many inspiring examples over many parts of history where we see that solidarity being expressed as a possibility and also as a pathway to imagine another society. And I think this particular section of the Regarde sur le septième feu really points to the buoyancy and also the expectancy of some of those ideas, but also the focusedness and the urgency of some of those frameworks.
The next piece I'll highlight is a duet composition between myself and Sam Shalabi, who is a Egyptian Canadian artist who has lived between Cairo and Montreal over the past couple of years. And we've recorded two albums together. They're albums of piano and oud. So they're duets between these two instruments. In a musical sense, the oud and the piano are very essential instruments to each of their respective musical traditions. So, for example, the oud is very essential to Arabic music composition, and it is also tuned differently than a Western instrument. The piano, of course, is essential to European-based compositional formats. Actually, just on a technical level, it's quite interesting. Finding that possibility to communicate between those two instruments is possible, but the tuning is different. So I think it's just sort of interesting to reflect on that because it speaks to a difference also in culture. This is a piece of music that appeared on our second album, which is called Flying Street. The actual title of the album is in Arabic, so it's Shara al-Hayar, so Flying Street. And the scales of the music are based on Sudanese or Nubian musical tones, so southern Egypt, northern Sudan. And it was aiming to express, in a way, the urgency of the realities in Egypt today after the overthrow of Mubarak, reflections on that, but also the attempts, I think, to find dialogue and communication between people at a grassroots level in North America, in Western Europe, and in the Middle East, as obviously there has been a lot of watching and communication happening back and forward between the protest movements in Egypt and, you know, the Occupy movements in North America, for example. So I think this piece, aside from it being a piece of music, it does point to some of those attempts to find dialogue. And it's actually the opening piece on our second album called Flying Street. And it's called Elfantine, this particular piece of music.
me, these aspects of composition and creativity and music have always been linked to processes of organizing around culture and the arts that, for me, are always also linked to trying to find ways to utilize beautiful expressions of sound and music to put forward our support and our reflections on struggles for justice and against oppression. I find people are more and more open to discussing a lot of these ideas of the role of spirituality, the role of the creative spirit in activism, which is a good thing. And I find that arts really demands those questions to be asked because arts in general really push us to explore edges of our hearts, our minds that are perhaps more difficult to articulate, but are essential to who we are. And so I think doing a lot of arts actions and cultural events really allowed space for those ideas to explore. But I can't say that everybody thought those things were important. There was a lot of people who were critical of the importance of those types of activities within the context of, you know, a campaign. So it's a debate, and I think it's important to acknowledge that because some people do have a very simplistic view of you know, the only thing in life being the struggle, quote-unquote. And I agree with that in a way, but the struggle happens in so many different ways and in so many different articulations. It's not just about the action or flyering or writing the press release. It's about the totality of our lives and thinking about how we find the energy and the heart and the spirit to stay involved in a way that allows us to remain part of these movements for a long time. You have been listening to my interview with Montreal-based community organizer and musician Stefan Christophe about his take on the intersection of music and radical social change. To learn more about his work, search for his name on Twitter and SoundCloud. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.